You know, uh, last week we we began a series called Unshakable, and uh, it. And so I got the name off of this book that I got to do the foreword, which is pretty fun on that. And by the way, if you are a guest here this morning, uh, maybe your first, second time with us, you, you can pick up one of these for free. We have a copy for you. They're on the Welcome Center, so you can see what I look like without a mustache. And you can also uh, get a chance. It's a, it's, a great, uh, it's a great read. So we're actually not following this book through the series, but we'll be talking about some of the things that come into our life that really rock our faith, that really shake our faith. And one of the things that uh, I found over the last few years that really shakes our faith is failure. If you've ever failed, anybody ever failed at anything? Yeah, right? No one ever succeeds unless they also fail. And so uh, today, that's really going to be the topic. And I, and I know that when failure comes into people's lives, especially uh, as it's been in um, my own personal experience, it really rocks you to the core because it's not just that you fail at something, but you can also project that failure back on yourself. And you can feel as though maybe I'm not good how could God use me if, if, I'm, if I'm not able to succeed, if I'm not the best or whatever? Uh, how could God use a failure like me? Well, I want you to know in the Word, as we go through it, you will see that God uses failures all the time, right? Because God's not a failure. Uh, but he takes our brokenness and he does amazing things through that. And, you know, and, and the reality is uh, when we fail, oftentimes we feel alone. We feel like nobody else you know, we're this pariah upon society. How could I possibly have let myself or the world down or all these things? But if you looked around, when I asked if anybody had failed, everybody raised your hand. See, failure is a part of life. It is something. It is a storm that will happen. It's like if I would say in this next year, there's a 100% chance of rain over this next year. It will happen. I don't know when. I don't know how much, but I'm pretty sure it will happen. In our lives, we're going to face times of failure. In fact, the only way for us to really avoid failure is to never try anything. And that in itself is a failing at life, isn't it? Can you imagine if the only, th- you, the only thing you did at life was absolutely nothing? It would be such a shame. Think about it like this. that uh, It's like when you learn to walk. Does any kid, everyone, like they're born, they come out, they're like, oh, I'm going to start running. Is that how it works? No. You watch a kid learn to walk. They spend a lot of time on their bottom or, you know, on their back, right? I mean, just standing for a while is hard. You watch a little kid, right? And they can't even stand. But we as adults don't look at them as these horrible pariahs. We're not like, what's your problem? I can stand. All these other adults can stand. What's your deal, little one? Right? No. We expect them to try and to stand up. And then, and then they take their first few steps. They're horrible steps. Have you ever seen a kid take steps? They're amateurs, Right? <laughs> And they fall down and all that. But we're so excited as parents when they take those steps, aren't we? Even when they take the first one. As parents, we, we call up the grandparents and our friends. We say, hey, my kid took a step. We don't say, my kid's a total failure. He can only take one step. We're like, he's walked. And our Heavenly Father has this position of love for us. We are learning to walk a new life. And in the Christian life, as we begin to walk and as we begin to live this new way in this life, we're going to come across times that we're not going to do it right. We're going to fall down. But too often, I find that Christians feel that God can't use them because they failed. They were learning to walk and they fell back into old sin. They were learning to walk and they had something, a moral problem they fell into. They were learning to walk and they had a financial problem they fell into. They were learning to walk and they had a social problem, a relationship problem that they fell into. And they think that, you know what, God can't use me. Nothing could be further from the truth. You have to learn to walk. And we're going to talk about that today, is how do we face failure And the way that we can face failure, of course, is if we stand on an unshakable faith. Now, our memory verse today comes to us from Deuteronomy 31.6. And it says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, this was an incredible time. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law book. was there when when God comes back to Moses and he says, Listen, you're going to go and do some pretty tough stuff, right? You're going to go and you're going to take this land, and it's going to be scary. But the promise was this, in building God's kingdom and taking the land and going out, God says this, be strong and courageous. Right? It's going to be hard, but we can be courageous. We don't have to be afraid because of the obstacles and, and the scary things that are out there. For the Lord our God is with us. He goes with us, and he's not going to leave you. 
And why would he promise not to leave us? No one promises not to leave somebody when everything's going well. It's knowing that it's not always going to go well. But he's not going to forsake you. So this, maybe if you're in the midst of failure right now, this is a truth for you that you need to hear today. And I would say this is a, something you need to hold on to and memorize and know that God is with you right now. But if not, when the rain comes, maybe this is something you work ahead on. And so that when the storm comes, God's word is there to help you. And so you know that you can go to God because he's already there with you. We want to find out how do we, today's message is applicable for all of us, right? Especially for those of us that are in failure. And if you're failing right now, if there's something in life that you've gone through, you've got shame, you've got disappointment, you've got discouragement that are happening right now, I want you to know that God's word has some really good promises for us, a good direction. How do we handle this failure? But even for the rest of us, to, to, either as we lick our wounds from the past failure or as we plan for the next thing that's going to happen in life, uh, these are things that will help us to weather the storm and grow strong. Uh, You know, rarely we find in life do we succeed on the first try. Sometimes you do. You know, sometimes somebody's just really, really good at something, and those people make the rest of us sick to our stomach. Right? You notice that? Like, they're just just ridiculously good, and they don't seem to have to practice very much, and they just get things all of a sudden. But most people have to work hard. And, you know, even those people that are prodigies at one thing aren't at other things. And I think because of that, because we rarely succeed on the first time, the first try, a lot of people are afraid to try anything which is one of the barriers that we find for people when they try in this, this discipleship life. And in becoming a, a Christian, the, the conversion experience is pretty safe. You can't really fail that. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So there's really nothing you can mess up, right? You, you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You express that, right? That, that's what you do. He's, that's easy. But so many of us then get stalled out and don't live the best part of the Christian life because we're afraid, what if I fail as a disciple? What if I'm trying to follow Jesus and I don't do it right? It's easier just to accept salvation and then to sit on the sidelines, but we miss out on the best. See, Jesus didn't come to make converts. He he came to make disciples. He didn't just come to, to just save our souls. He came to transform us from the inside out. And so I want you to hear this, is that failure is not as bad as we oftentimes think it is. Failure is is, is really a, a pathway. It's, it's, a, it's a fork in the road for us. When we face failure in life, there's two options that we can, we can go to. The first one is to give up. I failed at this. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to work through it. And I'm never going to try anything again. And we look to where that path leads in life. And it leads to a life of lack of significance. We get frustrated with things. It's a life of fear and anxiety because we're afraid of this big scary world, all these things that I could fail in. And we find that the world becomes a prison, don't we? And that path is, not, is a path that many people take, but Christ came that we would have a different kind of freedom. And that's one of the great things about our faith, is that there's this great concept called grace, that God gives us forgiveness and goodness and help, even when we don't deserve it. And so we have a freedom to fail. The other path when we come to failure is a different one. It's an opportunity to learn. To say, why did I fail? What went wrong? It's a great opportunity for introspection. You know, sometimes when we fail, it reveals something. There's a brokenness in our spirit that God can then help us with. Sometimes when we fail, it recognizes that we were just doing maybe the right things, but in a stupid way. Right? So we can adjust. So we can learn. Failure is a great opportunity. In fact, we find no one who has ever truly succeeded in life hasn't first gone through a series of failures that honed them and helped them. And today we're going to help you see how Christ leads us to that second path. How do we grow through it? So I'm going to give you an example of a guy that uh, he knew a little about failure. If you hear about his life, you'd be like, man, this guy was a real loser, right? Until you find out what he ended up doing. See, at the age of 22, 22, right, when you're starting life, you're, you're, you're full of vim and vigor, you've, opportunities are before you. At the age of 22, he got fired, right? Right at the very beginning. At age of 23... He decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run for at least office. If I lost my job, I'm going to run for state office. At 23, he, he loses a state election. I mean, talk about public humiliation, 
right? At the age of 24, he failed in a new business. He's like, well, I lost my job. I can't work and I can't, uh, don't want to serve in public. I'm going to start a business. And even that failed. Talk about everywhere in life. And then at the age of 26, a few years later, the love of his life, his high school sweetheart, she dies. And a year later, he has a nervous breakdown. Here's a guy that we would look at it, just everything, things we be falling apart. At the ages of 29, 34, and 45, he just, he's a glutton for punishment. He loses more elections for public office, right? Just can't seem to win. Age 47, he's defeated in his nomination for vice president, which, by the way, is pretty amazing that anybody would want to pick him for vice president after all these failures, and he loses. At 849, he, he, he loses the election for a U.S. Senate, right? I mean, he just escalates his failure. But at age 51, he won the election, of course, became first U.S. president. And the guy that we're talking about is Abraham Lincoln. Now think about this. Even when he was elected as U.S. president, he was the president who was elected when the country failed. And we had a horrible civil war. But when you see this man, do you think failure? Do you think, man, what an epic loser? No, we look to him and say this is one of our greatest presidents. A man who carried our country through failure and kept us together. Whose wisdom and courage and faithfulness and faith helped us as a nation redefine ourselves, become stronger in who we are. I'll tell you, if God can use a man like this, then maybe we can recognize that he can use all of us. Maybe we could say that if, if, if Abraham was not derailed by the failures, he could have given up. What a lack we would have had as a nation. Maybe failure isn't exactly what we always fear it to be. Randy Alcorn, a great Christian pastor and author, he says this, Faith that cannot be shaken is a faith that has been shaken. Don't you like that? I love that. It's true, isn't it? I think there are things in life we're so afraid of losing because we've never lost them. But then when you go ahead and you lose those things, you go through that time and you recognize that God is still there. You're still breathing, right? There's still life. You might not want to go back there but you recognize that maybe it wasn't the end of the world that you thought it was. And you recognize that God is still there in the midst of our, the deepest, darkest places, that God is still there. So we're not afraid of the darkness anymore. Growing through failure prepares you for what God has in store for you. That's one thing we find in life. There are so many stories in Scripture of Christians who go and, uh, and believers who go and they, and they try to serve God and they just fail publicly and miserably, and then God uses that very same thing that helps them, that propels them, that gives them the platform they need, or the grace that they need, or the heart that they need to be able to succeed in the work that he called them to do. And so we're going to talk about this kind of failure today. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to John chapter 21, the Gospel of John chapter 21. If you have one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 757. If you uh, need a Bible, um, maybe you forgot yours today or just need a Bible, we've got uh, one back. Wow, I sound really cool right now. I'm failing. All right, in the back, we've got a bunch of Bibles. You can help yourself to one of those. If you need a Bible, just keep it our gift to you. Now, here's what's happened thus far in uh, John 21. Is a quick recap. Uh, there was the uh, uh, there was Good Friday, right? And in Good Friday, Peter, who was one of Jesus's best buds, right? He uh, he he didn't do so well. But let's take a step back even further back before that. We say that Peter was by nature his very temper was he was kind of uh, passionate, quick tempered. Right? He was a guy that felt things loudly and all that kind of stuff. He was a, a blue-collar kind of guy, worked for a family fishing company, right? had his own uh, boats and things like this, would go out and, and would go fishing and all these kind of stuff. Just a hard-working kind of guy and all these types of things. Uh, and uh, one day, Jesus comes up to Peter and says, hey, follow me. And he, Jesus had met with Peter a few times before, that, but, but it, Peter does. He leaves everything, walks off the job site of a family business. Now, that's going to cause some ripples, right? Walks off of that to boldly follow Jesus, and he does. And we find Peter throughout uh, the, the Scripture, through the Gospel of John, especially because John and Peter, I think, had this really fun little uh, uh, sibling rivalry going, even though they weren't brothers in the flesh. They were brothers in spirit. And so there, John gets to write about some of these, these great failures that Peter had. And, uh, and, and so you have, you know, Peter... 
many times puts his foot in his mouth. There are times that Peter does awesome things, and there are times that Peter just, man, he just says the wrong thing at the wrong time and just gets really embarrassed, right? But he's always there. He sticks with Jesus. In John chapter 13, Jesus makes a prediction. This is well before his crucifixion. And he says to his disciples, there's a time coming that, that, that you're going to betray me, that you're, gonna, you're all going to leave me. And Peter says at that time, and of course Jesus was, was really predicting at the time um, Judas' betrayal, but, but Peter listens to this and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. I am not going to fail you, Jesus. I will never betray you. It's not going to happen, right? I'm not like these other fools, right? These other guys that you pick to be around you, I'm not like them. They are chickens. Maybe they will betray you, but not me. I would die for you. I love you. I'm going to follow you. Just a bold kind of guy, right? And believed it 100% in his heart when he said that, right? And I believe all the other disciples probably looking around at each other said, yeah, if anybody's going to stick with Jesus, it's probably going to be Peter, right? That's going to be there, right? And so Peter said, I'm not going to do it. Jesus, however, says, be careful. Uh, You're going to be sifted. And yes, you will. In John chapter 18, we find that that is Good Friday. And Peter was shifted, wasn't he? He was, he was, temp- he was tested by the devil. He sees his Lord be captured. He sees Judas, who was very trusted, was a treasurer, so you, you were a really trusted disciple, betray Jesus right in front of all of them. He picks up his sword. He's going to defend Jesus. He's going to die right there on that hill with Jesus. He's going to make good on his promise. And Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. This is not how this is going to go down. Embarrassed, frustrated, scared, all of the disciples run away. But even then, Peter wants to see where they take Jesus, and they take him to the high priest's house, right, for that that trial. And Peter's at a place where he's warming himself by a fire, and he's able to look through the window to see the trial so he can see Jesus. And all of a sudden, fear got the best of him, because there he was, surrounded by those who wanted to kill the Messiah. And he could even see Jesus and, and how they were treating him and beating him and all those types of things. And lo and behold, here comes somebody with a loud mouth saying, hey, you're one of the disciples. And Peter's like, no, 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 seriously, I'm not. And they're like, yeah, you are. And like, no, I'm not. And a third time, yeah, I know that you're one of the disciples. And he said, you know what? May God, may he deal with me ever so harshly if, I'm, if I have ever even seen this man Jesus, right? So why was he there at two in the morning? I think that was the, right out there for it. But here's the thing. He failed publicly. And then the rooster crows. And he recognizes that Jesus' prophecy came true. And he was broken in his heart because he recognized that man, he let down his best friend. He let down his Messiah. He betrayed God. And so he runs off. I mean, how could God use a guy like this? And really, next time we would find him, he just kind of goes back to his family business. Jesus called him to be a fisher of men, and, and he failed. So maybe just go back to being a fisher of fish. So in John 21, we get to this, this portion of Scripture. This is after the resurrection. Jesus showed up. Peter was in that room when Jesus appeared to them, said, Peace be with you, shows them his hands and his side. Peter's excited because his friend's alive, right? Peter's excited because God has overcome all these things. But Peter doesn't recognize that, that, kind of, that the, he's part of this plan anymore. He's failed God. He doesn't have to be terrified that he's going to get killed anymore That, that, that maybe because Jesus is out there, he's walking around. But he was, I'm sure he was just broken. And that's where we're at, is after the resurrection. And Jesus said, hey, go meet me in Galilee. Well, Peter's got some fishing boats up there. And so this is kind of where we, we, we find the, where we pick up the story. And we're going to start in uh, uh, verse 1. And it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. At the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the son of Zebedee, the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And then they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Talk about failure. Can't even catch fish. Early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. Then he said, Throw your net in over the right side of the boat, then you'll find some. When they did, 
they were unable, unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water, and the other disciples followed in the boat, following uh, the net, uh, towing in the net full of fish, for they were not far off from shore, about a hundred yards. When they had landed, they saw the fire burning coals, with a, and there were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of fish. 153, uh, even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, let's have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, well, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went there wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, this is an incredible story of redemption. How God deals with failures. And in this, I think we find four ways that God helps us, we find in scripture, that we can deal with failure. And I think the first thing that we find in there is we have to face the emotions of failure. And God allowed Simon, Peter, to do this. And failure does lead to powerful emotions, doesn't it? When you fail, it hurts. It's supposed to, right? It lets us know that maybe this wasn't the best thing to do. If failure felt good, we would all be incredible losers, right? Failure hurts. But I think oftentimes we are so ashamed that we failed that we try to stuff that pain so that nobody else, so we don't have at least the, we don't, we don't want to deal with it. We feel so much shame associated with it, we can't even deal with it. The Peter failed Jesus three times, and he had a strong reaction. He ran away crying, he, he, right? he wept, he, he felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to be, uh, how could God possibly use me? And he gave up. I and mean, the next time we find him in this, he's fishing again. He can't be a fisher of men, he's just going to go back to his old business. Like, God tried to use me, I guess I'm not good enough. So he goes back. Can you relate to that? Is there been a time in your life where you've really tried to serve God, you tried to walk with Him, and then you, you just mess up so, you know, spectacularly. You're like, man, God can't use me. And you come to church, but you kind of sit maybe in the back, or you sit kind of quiet. You know, like, I don't want to touch any ministry, because any ministry I touch, I'm going to mess up, <laughs> right? Has there ever been where you're at? I've had times like that. My first sermon that the, this church let me preach, I went for, I preached the whole Bible, I think. We ran out of tape, literally. It was awful. It was the worst sermon, I think, in the history of mankind, right? It really was bad. And, yeah, Chris, my wife, she's like, I lived through it. It was awful. <laughs> it was, right? It's hard when you have a, a family of faith and you go up in front and you fail spectacularly in front of people, right? And look what you guys allowed me to continue to preach. It's amazing to me. It's just phenomenal. You know, failure does have emotions, and we have to deal with those. It's okay to say, you know, God, I, I, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, and, and to be honest about that. We have, uh, failure makes us want to quit. That's part of the nature of it, because like when you touch a, a hot stove, the last thing you want to do is be around a hot stove again, right? You're like, I don't want to do that. It's the way that we learn. But sometimes we learn the wrong lessons. Like if you burned yourself on a stove and you're like, I'm never going to cook again, right? You're going to have the worst diet ever, Right? 
The idea is, oh, I'm not going to touch the stove when it's hot. We need to make sure that we're learning the right lessons and to make sure that the pain is doing what it's supposed to do, to teach us, to shape us. The more we identify with the failure itself, the stronger the urge that is to quit. Have you noticed that? The, the more that, that, that uh, like for me, when I came up and it was before the church and I had that horrible, horrible sermon and I wanted to be in ministry and this was something I thought, this is my chance and I'm going to do it. And then I just, man, whiffed hard, just, right? It was awful. I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll just be an electrician or maybe I'll, I'll work in hospital billing or something, right? And God can use me in youth group or something like this where I don't talk that much. Right, the idea, because that was something that was deep and important to me, when we fail at something huge, oftentimes it, it crushes us. And these are things oftentimes like marriages, when they fail, or when we fail at, at a particular job or career that we've really wanted to, or, or at a particular uh, activity that we really identify with, something that I really, this is who I am, and then you fail at that, it, it cuts us to the quick. You know, there's a study that was done uh, a couple of years ago uh, by... Uh, um, Barna, uh, that does all these kind of uh, research sociological studies, I found was interesting. And they, and they looked at men and women and where the failure is, like what, is there a difference in how men and women fail and what we fail in that hurts us the most, right? And they found that for men, the times of failure that shut men down the most are career failures, when you're fired, when your company goes under, when you don't get the promotion and are constantly looked over, right? When it, for men, oftentimes that is something that just makes them feel like I'm less than a human, like I'm not good enough. It, it shuts us down, all right? So things like how we do, how we can provide, those things can really, for a lot of men, affect for women, it's relationships, it's a, if you had a, a great friendship that broke, if you had a, re, a, a relationship with your husband or a boyfriend or something that just failed you know, horribly, those that you work around, if you don't have great relationships with those that you work around, for a lot of women to feel like, I am a failure at this thing, and have a very hard time overcoming that. And I find that it's important for us to look at ourselves and say, in your life, what are the failures that want to keep you imprisoned? I said, what are these things? Because those are the areas that I think that we need to draw back onto Christ to say, God, can you still use me in this? Peter identified very closely with Jesus. That was his career path. That was his best friend, relationally and and his business. And he failed hard. And see, he had some hard emotions. I think two keys for not getting stuck in in these horrible emotions. The first one is, is to have good support. Do you notice that Peter, where was he at? He was on a boat with friends. One of the things I think is most toxic for us Christians is when we fail, oftentimes we pull away from the church. We say, I don't want to make the church look bad because I'm bad, right? I want to just get away. I want to pull away from this community. I want to lick my wounds in private because I'm humiliated, and we pull away. But that's one of the worst things that we can do. One way that helps us not to get stuck in failure is then to be around good support, godly friends, people who can remind you that there is grace for you. And that's why I say godly friends. For those of our friends, and we should have lots of friends who aren't believers yet, but those friends don't understand grace yet because they haven't received it. You need to be around those who also understand grace that recognizes that God uses failure so they can speak that truth into your life when you need it most, who can accept you by grace. And the other one is that we have to go to Jesus. And that's one of the things that we oftentimes we fail God and we want to just run from him. We don't want to... Abandoned. We feel like we've done so bad, and so we get out as far away as we can. We stop going to church. We stop reading the Bible. We stop praying. We're, we're like, God, you know that I'm a failure. Isn't it funny that when, when Peter was fishing here, what Jesus calls them, they didn't catch any fish. And Jesus calls out, you catch any fish? He knew they didn't catch any fish. Thanks for pointing out my failure, Jesus. Right? But he pointed out the failure because he was going to do something awesome. Go to Jesus in your failure. Recognize that he loves you, and he's there to help you. In your time of great needs. Hebrews uh, has this. Hebrews 4.15, it says, we, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he didn't sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we receive grace and mercy, to, uh, we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, God invites us, when you are in pain, when you have failed and all these things, recognize that Jesus was a man, and he, though he didn't sin, he understands the, the draw of temptation. He can help you. He recognizes. He's not just there saying, well, I'm perfect and I expect you not to be tempted. He's like, I get it. You were tempted. You were weak. You fell. We can come to him and guess what we find? Mercy. God's not going to strike you with a lightning bolt because you failed. 
And you're going to find grace to help us in our time of need. God is there with you. He will not forsake you. We need to go to him. I think the second thing we need to do is is that we have to allow my failures to draw me close to God. Recognizing that, that when I fail, the temptation is to run from God. But instead, say, this is a path, and, the, and, and God already knows that I failed. His grace is there for me. I need to use this failure to go towards God. Failure is not a, a need to, to run from God at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. God is not discouraged with you. Do you think God's surprised when you fail? Like, he was like, oh, I totally expect him to get that. Like, I didn't see that coming. I, this is something that God has never said. I didn't see that coming, right? He's with you. He's not going to forsake you. He saw it coming, and he has a plan. He will use it. Let him use it. God wants to draw you to draw close to him, especially in these times. I think that's when we understand grace the most. We recognize that God loves us more than just for what we can do for him, but he loves us because he's a loving God, and he made us to be loved. I think Peter's failure uh, pushed him from God, right? He, where will we find him? He was going back to old ways, old patterns, going to be back a fisherman. I, can God still use me? All these things. When the storms of life come, when pressure hits, right, pressure moves things. You ever notice that? Pressure will always move something somewhere. It's either going to move you closer to God or further away. You get to choose which. Just like in relationships, pressure in relationships when you have stress can either draw you closer together as a couple or further away. It's always going to move you somewhere. You get to choose which part. But here's something cool that I found that was awesome about Peter's. He didn't give up. Here he was on this boat. He, can't, he was a failure at, at following Jesus because he denied him. He was a failure at fishing. He was out there all night with his buddies, didn't catch anything. Right? Then Jesus went to him. And Jesus is like, hey, you catch fish? No. Huh. Throw the net over. Why did Jesus tell him to do that? Because on the first time Peter met Jesus, he did the same thing. And when John said, hey, this is, uh, this is Jesus, what does Peter do? Does he like, oh, let's get back to shore? No, like, they're like, hey, that's Jesus. Let's pull on these notes and kapunk, right? And then that's what they heard. And, and Peter's just swimming to shore. I think at that moment, he recognized that the Jesus who called him way back early on was the Jesus that was calling him again. That maybe God still had purpose for him. That God hadn't abandoned him. And what did he do? He went right to the Lord. He didn't even wait for the boat. And it's 100 yards. They say it wasn't very far off. It was 100. You ever try to swim 100 yards in, in a lake? It's cold. Right? You know, Peter didn't give up on Jesus. He was still with his disciples. He recognizes that. But, you know, here's the cool thing is Jesus didn't give up on Peter either. And you need to hear that because oftentimes, you know, we recognize that God can still good things, but sometimes we just give up on God work using us. We say, God, you can't use me. I've failed. God will use you. Now, this is what we have with uh, this identity that uh, we have in Christ, is that we are redeemed failures, right? And Peter was one of the first that really got this. So that way we recognize that there is a redemption, a possibility that God has for it. And so I think the next that we find in this is the four ways to deal with it. We have to identify and learn from the source of my failure, right? We're redeemed. How does God redeem the failure? You have to figure out what needs to be redeemed. Why did I fail? I think learning from that is is really the key. If we don't learn from our failures, we're going to keep doing the same things over and over and over again. We keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. It gets really boring and really frustrating, doesn't it? And God will be there. He's not going to leave you forsake you, but he has something better for us. So sometimes we have to look introspectively back into our life and ask God, help me find what was the point of brokenness. And Jesus does this with Peter, and I think it's really cool in this. And I think part of it is that when we find that failure, that that broken point, that we stop identifying with that thing that made us broken, right? We recognize that that's a broken part. God is making me new. And so so I think with Peter, we find that his root was pride and arrogance, right? And so we go back into why did Peter fail? Why did he deny Jesus? Well, think about in in, uh, chapter 13 when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And what was Peter's response? These losers are going to betray you, but not me. Lord, I certainly, I would never, ever, ever do that. And it was a right motive, right? But it also showed some arrogance. It showed this, this idea that he says, well, I'm impervious to that type of brokenness. And that's the very thing that, that made him fall. In fact, in Scripture, it says pride oftentimes comes before a fall. And so Peter's arrogance did lead him to failure. And oftentimes in our own life, it is arrogance. It's pride that leads us to fail. I'm, I'm too good in this to fail. 
And then we find that maybe I wasn't too good in that <laughs> to fail. Did Peter learn from this lesson? This is one of the most tender, awesome portions of Scripture I find. You look in there, starting in verse 15 in chapter 22, it says, uh, when Jesus uh, had finished eating, right? They had eaten together. He accepted them, right? They had this thing. He says to him, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yeah, I love you. But here's something that you miss in the English in this. It's one of those rare times that, man, having the Greek really helps. There's different words for love in Greek because it's a very precise language. And they have this love, uh, this word there, agape. And agape love means it's selfless love. It's a kind of love that, that, you know, I'm going to do anything for you, and even if I get nothing back. It's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross, agape love. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me selflessly? But Peter couldn't say, I love you selflessly, because he had failed. See, here is this man so full of pride before he says, Jesus, I can't fail. When Jesus asks, do you agape me? Peter replies, Lord, I love you. But he doesn't say agape. He says phileo, which is a brotherly love. He says, I, you know, Jesus, I love you like a brother. You know, you're, you're so close to me. I love you like a brother. I can honestly say that, Peter was saying to Jesus. Jesus said, do you, do you, do you love me unconditionally? Jesus says, Peter says, Lord, I love you like a brother. You know that. And even at this, Jesus didn't say, well, then if you don't agape me, I can't use you. He says, then feed my sheep. Peter, you're going to be a leader in the church. Peter, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you authority now. I'm going to give you purpose in my kingdom, even though you're not perfect, Peter. Even if you can't say with your mouth, I agape you, there is still purpose for you, and it's a great purpose. But then Jesus says again, look at that. He doesn't back off. Right? I think this is, this is for Peter because three times Peter denied Jesus. And he is three times where he gets to, to say, you know what? I do choose you. And so it says again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And then he said, well, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Again, he just couldn't bring himself to say it. And then uh, Jesus said, well, then take care of my sheep. You see, Peter, it's okay. I love you. And I still have purpose for you. But then we have another one that says, and the third time, in verse 17, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time, Jesus changes the word love. He says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? And it says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him this third time. I think it was maybe a little hard where he recognized that Jesus didn't even say, do you agape me anymore? Jesus is not going to rub his nose in it. He says, Jesus, Peter, is this where you can love me? Is this where you're at? This is what you can do? And it was hurtful because it was a recognizing again, man, I wish that I could measure up Jesus. I wish that I could agape you. But Jesus says, it's okay. You can love me like a brother. That's, that's good. And then... Uh, and he says, Lord, you know all things, right? You know what I did. We don't have to go back over that. You know what I did. You know that I flail you. And that's amazing. I want you to hear that God, he's not surprised by your failure, but he helps us to address the problem, doesn't he? Peter was prideful before. And at this point, just speaking with the Lord after his failure, that pride was gone. He wasn't like, I'm better than the rest of these disciples. He's like, Lord, I can't even imagine you would even use me. I can't even say that I love you the same way. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. You have purpose. Right? He chooses you. And he's got work for you to do. Now, Jesus goes on, because our God is a good God. And he says to Peter, you know what? You may say you only phileo me, but there was a time that, that you know, you will dress yourself. Right? There's a time coming that you're going to be executed for me. You will lay down your life for me for the glory of God. Peter, you're going to prove what you weren't able to in the garden. You're going to be a changed man from the inside out. Peter, you will, you do love me more than you know. <laughs> That's what he says. He speaks the truth into Peter's life, who Peter really is, in spite of that failure. What Peter himself couldn't even bring himself to even say, Jesus says, I'm going to help. You're going to change. And the man that you always wanted to be, the one that you thought you were before in pride, you're going to be that man, Peter. Think about that. And we look at that and say, well, that's awfully mean of Jesus. Say, you're going to be executed for me. Recognize for Peter, this is a point of redemption. 
This is a time where his life was going to prove the love that he wanted to demonstrate earlier on and failed on. He no longer had to identify with the failure, with the pride. He was a new man in Christ with a new mission and a new purpose. For us, we have to ask when we fail, God, why did I fail? If it's in a relationship or my marriage or with a friendship or with a, with a boss, if it's at work, or whatever it is, look and say, why did I fail? Be brave enough to, to ask God to put the spotlight on that failure and then stop identifying with the thing that makes you fail and say, God, this is what I want you to change in me. And God oftentimes sees a whole lot better in you than you can ever possibly see in yourself. The fourth thing we want to see is to, to listen and to obey God's new plan for you, Right? That's what we've got to do. Once we recognize that God is something different, we've got to say, God, what do you want from me? I'm, you don't call me to be a failure. What is it that you do want from me? And to obey that. Oftentimes, we get through failure. We deal with the problems. We deal with the, uh, all the hardship, all that kind of stuff. And then we still continue to, uh, to live our lives the way we had always done. And we continue to fail over and over and over again, right? Even if we know. I know that I'm bad at these things. And then we put ourselves in situations where we keep falling and failing over and over again. Recognize that... In God's word, he has a better way for us to live. That's the whole part of learning to obey everything Jesus commanded, right? So that we don't continue to, to trip over past failures. But we have to be obedient to those things. So we find that we see this, uh, that, that God gives us opportunities and failures, but we have to then take advantage of those opportunities. Zig Ziglar, who is an uh, awesome uh, uh, Christian writer, all this stuff, he says, uh, he says this, failure is a detour, not a dead end. I love that. But it's our choice. You see, Peter could have, after Jesus said, uh, love me, feed my sheep, Peter said, no, I've already tried once, I'm out. Get somebody else, Jesus. I love you, I'm going to be your follower, all that kind of stuff, I'm going to be part of the crowd. Right? It would have been a dead end. But it can just be a detour, and I think what happened with Peter at that time of failure is God taught him something on that path, right? The path, let's take it, right? He taught him about Humility about grace. Proverbs twenty four sixteen, book of wisdom says this: For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Don't you like that? The righteous fall. Though the righteous fall seven times, not if the righteous fall, they're going to fall. What happens? They get up. But those the wicked, when when we we're walking away from God, not taking His path then bad things are going to happen you're going to fall. Those of us that are following Christ, that are learning to follow Jesus, here's it. Bad things are going to happen. God will use our failure. And we'll get up. How many times? Well, here it says seven. I think Jesus tells us as many times as it takes. I think it's cool in the book of wisdom, it talks about that those that are successful and those that are righteous are not the people that always do it right the first time. Peter was a denier, right? He fell. But we don't think of him as a denier. We think of him as a leader of the church, a bold leader of the church, don't we? Uh, Peter was the guy who the Holy Spirit chose to be his spokesman at Pentecost. That's a pretty big deal. Peter, he, he penned a couple books of scripture, right? He helped uh, Mark with the, the gospel of, of Mark. Uh, he was part of and, and actually getting the scripture written. Think of what an honor that is. God used Peter powerfully, and he can use us too. And Peter fed Christ's sheep. He actually did what Christ asked him to do. He was on target with God's new plan for his life. He was no longer, we don't find Peter out there fishing anymore on a boat. We find Peter fishing for men from this point on, which is awesome. Failure doesn't keep us from being used by God. Look at Joshua. Joshua was a faithful leader in Israel's army, right? He was a powerful man. He was one of the few that said, listen, we can go take those Canaanites, but the other ten spies said, no, you can't, right? He was one that said, yes, we can. We can take him. He's a faithful man of God. He was bold and all that. And as Israel wandered for 40 years and he stayed alive and God said, we're going to go back. We're going to take the land. Joshua was there. He's a powerful powerful general in God's army. And he's going to go and he's going to take the promised land. And they go and they get, they get Jericho and the walls fall down. And he's like, man, this is good. And God is showing that Joshua is, is a strong leader and all of this. And then they fail and he doesn't know why next. They go take Ai and it is an absolute failure. And the reason was it had nothing to do with Joshua. Nothing. It was some other guy that was in his camp, took some stuff that God said not to take, and that's why the army failed. But Joshua didn't know this. All he knows is that God helped him with, with this big city, and now they go pack, attack this little city, and they get destroyed. And he's like, I must be the worst general ever. 
This was the first real battle. We didn't get to march around and blow horns, right? And so there he is. After the battle, he's out there on the field just lying face down. He's like, whoa, I'm the worst. Lord, why did you bring me out here to humiliate me in your name? And we're just going to get decimated, right? And I love what God says to him. The Lord said, Joshua, stand up. Why have you fallen on your face? And then God says, I'm going to tell you how to go succeed now. And your people are going to learn a very valuable lesson from this. I think there are times in our lives that we fail and we get fall down flat on our face. And I want you to know that, that, that we recognize that maybe God's not done with us yet. God says, get up. We can't wallow in self-hatred you know, and despair. We can deal with the emotions, but we have to recognize that God has a plan for us. And God says, get up. Right? Why do you fall on your face? Peter's story is, is an incredible story of, of redemption, isn't it? God's saying, feed my sheep. Get up, Peter. Feed my sheep. Go and do it. There's a new way for you to live. And because Peter followed God's new plan, he has a place of honor in the kingdom, doesn't he? And we still, a lot of us, people name their, their sons after him and stuff still, right? You don't see that happening for people like Nebuchadnezzar, right? <laughs> So what about you? Are you experiencing failure? Are you recovering from a failure? Right? Or are you afraid of the next one that might come? I'll tell you this. That, that God has given us some ways that we can handle failure. That we don't have to be afraid of it. And, and here's what he says in his word for us. The, the things we do. The first one is to face the emotions of your failure. When you fail, don't feel bad that you feel bad. Recognize it. Go to God with it. But then allow your failures to draw you close to God. Don't run from him in the midst of the pain. Say God invites you, says come to him so you can receive grace. And then learn from the source of it because you're with God in his grace. He's not going to abandon you. So learn why did I fail? Have the bravery to do that and say what went wrong? Right? Where was the problem? And then stop identifying so then you can listen and obey God's new plan for you. So he can take those failures and to use them for strength. And can invest them in his kingdom. Now there is one failure that I want to make sure that nobody walks out of here today that, that goes into. God tells about this. It's, a, it's the worst of all failures in humanity. And that's this. It's to fail to recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All other failures in the word are things that God can help us with because we're, God is with us. right? Because we're with God. But this is the way that we can become close to God. Jesus came... God came, put on flesh so he would understand us, so he could save us from our sin and from our brokenness. That's huge, right? He died so that our sins, our failures could be paid for, right? So that not standing between us and God anymore. He rose again, proving that he is God, has the power to transform lives, gives us a hope for eternal life. All of those things are amazing. And we are saved by grace through faith in him. It's amazing. And then when God is with us, he will never leave us or forsake us. But here's the problem is that first thing is that we've left and forsaken God. That's what our sin did. And if you are not with God, then his grace cannot be with you. And therefore, you don't have the power to overcome the failures that you're going to face in life. The most important thing that we have to get right is that we go to God in relationship. We are saved by grace through faith. Jesus said, it's not because we did anything. It's not because you're so good. It's because God loves you. And how do you come to God? How do you accept his grace and forgiveness so that you have the grace and power and mercy that you need to help you overcome failure so that God can redeem those failures in your life? Well, faith is simple, is a simple thing, but it needs to be expressed, right? And so Jesus says, and Scripture tells us that we need to believe, that Jesus said, all who believe in him, that's an expression of faith. And belief is this, I'm going to have doubts, but I'm going to choose to trust God in spite of them. And, and it, that's something we're supposed to have all of our life. The second thing it says that we're supposed to express our faith is repentance. It says, I'm going to live a different way. I used to live like I was the boss of my life, doing things that I thought, believing in my own morals and ethics. But I'm going to choose God's. I'm going to go into the Word and say, this is my standard. Because if He really is God, I'm going to trust that. I'm going to try to follow His ways. It is to confess. It's to identify with Jesus. It says in the Word that those who confess with their lips that Jesus Christ is Lord will be saved. It's a confession. It's identifying with Jesus, saying, He is my Lord and Savior. It's to be baptized, and in baptism is this event where we are, we are uh, buried in the waters of baptism and brought back out as, as identifying with Jesus, demonstrating our, our belief, demonstrating the fact that we're going to obey him in our life, that we have a new life in him. 
It's the way that we follow Christ. And then to be discipled, and that's part of being in a church. And so how do I begin taking these steps of faith? This is the most important thing. If that is for you, if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've not demonstrated your faith and belief or confession or repentance or baptism, we want to help. And so one of the things that you could do on the back of your connection card, this thing, I'd like more information about starting a relationship with Jesus. Let us know that. Make sure your name is printed clearly and there's a way that I can contact you this week. We'll talk. It doesn't make you a Christian by saying that, but it means that I'm willing to, we'll chat. We'll talk about your doubts and, your, and what does it mean to follow Jesus and we'll help you take those steps of faith. If you need to take one of those other ones, maybe to be baptized or something else, just let us know. I'll be happy to meet with you this week. We'll help you answer your questions uh, and, and help you take those steps of faith and faithfulness. What about for the rest of us? What are ways that we can build our life, face failure with unshakable faith? You take your connection card also on the back side, and there's going to be a couple of things that you can do. Next steps. So let me get mine, and, uh, and you can let me know so I can pray for you this week. Do it. The first one is memorize Deuteronomy 31.6. Because you need to know that God has not abandoned you when you fail. That he's with you, so you don't have to be afraid of it. So maybe this is where you begin this week. That's a powerful passage. You say, this week I'm going to memorize. I'm going to put that into my heart my mind. Maybe the next thing you want to do is you want to read the story of Joshua, Joshua 7 through 9, chapter 7 through 9. You can read this story of how this great general, what he did, and how God used him past that failure. Because our God works the same yesterday, today, and always. He's an amazing God. Also, maybe you're going to do this week is you're going to pray that you're going to take your failures to God. Instead of running from God, you say, God, I know and you know that I'm failing in this, and I'm embarrassed about it, and I don't like it. But I don't want to stay here. And you start going to God and say, God, how, help me figure out what I'm doing wrong. God, forgive me. Thank you for your forgiveness in this. God, show me how can I follow you in a better way. What's your plan? This week, you go to God with your failures. Or maybe what you need to do is you need a community. A community of faithfulness. So that not just in failures, but all the things of life. Discipleship happens in community, doesn't it? It happens in groups. That's how Jesus disciples people. That's what our life groups are about. And next week, we're going to have a life group fair. So you get to meet some of our life group leaders and things like this. But... But you say, you know what, I need to be in a life group. I need to be part of a community, a small community of Christians that will help us grow together in Christ. And if that's you, let us know. Uh, Marion and Kelly Stallworth, who do a great job leading our life group ministry, will call you this week. We'll help you connect with a, with a life group. And uh, it would be a great way to begin to grow through life. And uh, you'll find that you don't have to fear failure, especially when you have a loving community of Christ around. Help us through those times. All right, so in a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we do, take these connection cards, put them in the offering basket, along with your tithes and your gifts. Let's say a quick prayer for these, our gifts, and for our our commitments. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your kindness, your goodness, your compassion, that you are a powerful and a loving God. We hand to you our failures, we hand you our brokenness, but we're grateful for your grace, but also for your redemption. Use us, even in our brokenness, to do great things to build your kingdom. Father, we've uh, made commitments today. Help us keep them in a way that honors you. Take our tithes and our offerings and our gifts. Please use them to build your kingdom for your glory, we ask in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.